Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm here with my friend Zach. Hello, everybody. So today, we've got a very special episode. We are going to be talking about our decks. So that means uh, decks we've played in the past, deck styles that we enjoy, our current favorite decks. And then if you would like to hear more about any of these decks, and we maybe do a deck tech in the future, Mm -hmm. that's on the agenda for today. Before we jump into it, I want to really quickly plug our Patreon page. If you like the show, please support us on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you get to join our Discord server and get other sweet rewards. You can also help us out by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Let's jump right into the topic for today. Yeah, We're going to start off by talking about our first decks. Zach, when when you first started Commander, what, what kind of decks did you like to play? Most of the games I'd ever played in my life were casual 60 card, like eight player. We all sat down on like a Sunday at like the chess club in Belleville Park in uh, San Diego and we'd play like a three hour game. And so I heard about the format like 2010 or 11 or something like that, whenever it was. And we had some friends who were playing it and I was like, oh, this is silly. Like, why don't you, if you just want to do singleton, just make a singleton. It was like very different at a very different mindset about it. (laughs) And so my first deck was kind of a joke. It was Newmont the Devastator, but it was all puns. So mm. it was not very good. <laughs> <laughs> but I quickly kind of realized like the deck building possibilities. So mm-hmm. I made like Mono Blue Ixidor. Uh, I made a Sun Triplets deck, uh, which eventually turned into Sidri. I made a few different decks over the years, a bunch of different Mono Green lists. And I had a Sapling and Colfinar list that I had forever. But that's kind of my my humble beginnings <laughs> before I kind of really like honed in on like a deck building ethos, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, when it was just kind of like chilling and the format was new and like a lot of games didn't even really get started till like turn six or something like that. It was a very different time. <laughs> so when I got started in commander, it was right around Rise of Eldrazi, Scars of Mirrodin. So it was actually right around the time of the first commander pre-con. Yeah. Yeah. And so my two first decks i don't remember which i started with but they i made built them right around the same time (laughs) and it was skitherix the blight dragon voltron infect deck that was a lot of fun and then also riku of two reflections and that was kind of the deck that like showed me the power of etb creatures (laughs) like for a while like almost all of the creatures in the deck had etb triggers and that was like the theme and i didn't realize just how, <laughs> kind of how cheesy that was <laughs> i also uh ran a bunch of time warps in that deck mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the first two decks i started off with a format were not what you might call pro social um <laughs> a lot of me trying to take infinite turns because the riku <laughs> deck like it had those combos in it with like anarchist is it chronarch yeah uh, you could just keep going exactly and like bounce engines and time warps and just trying to set up that loop so i get to play forever and then of course like there are some (laughs) people who are also cheesed by getting skitherixed out on like turn five or something oh yeah i remember the first time i died to infecting commander and i was like wait what and it's like oh no it's still And I was like, no, no way. It's still 10. It's not like 20. <laughs> yeah. It's still 10. Ooh, those, those are good times. So from there, 
I think the next deck I built was Iname Death Aspect. There are some Iname lists that are like sort of combo oriented. Mm-hmm. You just get a bunch of creatures in your yard and you try to reanimate all at once. This was like really, really grindy control because yeah. I would just get a bunch of self-recurring spirits and then feed them to attrition and mind slash. <laughs> I ran Infernal Darkness. That's the deck where I... uh first picked up on that card and contamination so it was also just like really brutal What's the, to play against there's a spirit that i always think about with that deck or you can sack a creature to ping what was that one? Oh god yes krovican horror Krovican, yeah that was the backbone that and corpse dance were the two cards that made graveyard order matter in that deck not only was i tutoring every <laughs> single game for like 10 cards but i had to think really <laughs> carefully about the order i was putting them in the graveyard <laughs> it's so funny oh. I, I like remember that deck really well though because it was like a really cool idea and a really cool way to do that because i had seen at a shop in town someone made a death like an ami death aspect and it was exactly what you said it was just like like a combo deck they like twilight's call like except i win because mm-hmm. i have like a combo on the board or something yeah i was like, not super interesting yeah this deck was not so uh merciful <laughs> as that no. i was <laughs> Yeah, because, like, man, I also remember another uh, great thing that worked so well with Krovik and Horror is I ran a bunch of Death Touch equipment in the deck. Yeah. And, like, Death Pits of Wrath, so that, like, pretty much every game I was likely to get a way to turn Krovik and Horror into a machine gun. (laughs) Oh, man. Good times. Good times. from from there, I really experimented with a lot of super grindy control decks. I think Zach remembers this. I remember a lot uh, of these. Yeah, there was uh, Vishkal, which was just like Iname, but a lot of additional like combos and reanimation. And board wipes and, and board stuff. Board wipes, that was good. Yeah. Um, and then I also played a lot with um, Elish Norn when she came out that year. Um, yeah. Because I was really trying to go for the Cormus Bell, Burborg, <laughs> Elish Norn lock. Classic. Yeah. It's really good when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd, I'd say that that's how I started out in the format. And I'd say that over time, I gravitated a little bit more towards um, a pro-social yeah. style of play that can allow my opponents to... Yeah. I, yeah. I, I like front-loaded a lot of wins <laughs> via... <laughs> concession and now i'm a lot more about like let's make sure everyone's having a good time yeah i think it's interesting because like looking back and i was thinking about this a long time ago we both came at the format from like the entire different ends and kind of have like met in the middle mm-hmm. some at some point in time that ended up happening where like i went from like the hyper casual to like a lot more synergy focused and um like optimization focus and you started like very far in that end and kind of came back to like well let's make the game <laughs> really good. which is great i mean like that's kind of there's kind of something that happens not just with commander but with magic players where like if you're when you're playing multiplayer games there you have to have that evolution otherwise you're never gonna have anyone to play yeah because you're either gonna like get stomped on or you're going and then to get super frustrated yeah or you're going to stomp on people and they're gonna get super frustrated and then you're frustrated it's so um, there's this like middle ground that you just kind of have to hit eventually otherwise mm-hmm. you're just not gonna have fun. <laughs> yeah i think that most good play groups do find that equilibrium mm-hmm. yeah and that's another thing like me and nick are really lucky to be in some like a pretty good play group right now mm-hmm. like i think about that a lot too they let us do some heinous things but everyone's kind of at the same more or less power level 
Yeah. Um, so that's really nice. It's something that like I do not take for granted at all. Yeah. We also have some some good norms. Like if you're mm-hmm. comboing off, like what tends to happen is you ascend and then everyone else continues playing. Yeah. You just kind of tip your hat and go like, well, I'm going to go uh, eat some of these uh, chips and guac over here. Yeah. You guys have a good time. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I do recommend that for if you have someone who's like a serial combo player in your group, just because they're happy. They They like did their thing. And then you all are like, okay, whatever, go away. And then you keep playing. Yeah. <laughs> and as long as you kind of have a good mindset about it, it just makes the day go a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. Now let's let's move into sort of deck styles mm-hmm. that we enjoy. So what are some of the archetypes that you find yourself coming back to over and over again? The first set that I like really played, like I started technically when Invasion came out or mm-hmm. like Invasion Block, but I didn't really like... I just got cards back then, like something like someone gave me some cards. The first set that I actually started buying was Odyssey, mm-hmm. and I think I honest I don't know if it's just my playstyle really gravitates towards graveyards naturally, or if that block ruined me forever <laughs> and now like <laughs> just grindy graveyard like long game decks are mm-hmm. like a thing. But I most decks that I make have some component that can go long like that they have some mechanism through which you can continue playing even through like multiple board wipes or uh keep card flow coming at some point in time like if you had to discard your hand which happens pretty often or whatever so it's a lot of graveyard synergies in general i'm a combo player and i've had to taper that down so now it's like high synergy if you combo late game that's fine i try to like make sure that everyone has a chance to do something so like instead of just putting a bunch of tutors in decks now i might play like a bunch of like factor fiction variants or like just a bunch more card draw or a bunch of looting or something like that so that like i have to actually work at it instead of just being like demonic tutor now I (laughs) (laughs) and that ends up being a lot more fun i like all my decks to be different somewhat so like i just like building around different themes which we'll kind of get into in a little bit what do you in general like doing so one thing one like pretty common through line it was definitely way more intense when i first started playing but i just really like getting the most value i can out of my mana base Mm -hmm. so like when i started playing the game all my decks had crucible and fetch engines all my (laughs) decks ran rings of bright hearth so that i could copy the fetches and get more lands (laughs) a lot of my decks ran journeyer's kite and of course, like land tax and all my white decks, yeah. weathered wayfarer and all my white decks. I was really, really focused on making sure I hit my land drop every single turn, and yeah. if possible, multiple land drops. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of style of play and that kind of like focus on lands. One of my playgroups called that the Nick game because I would just like <laughs> focus on doing that. Everyone else was doing their thing, and I was playing my own little game Trying about guaranteeing land drops, and then I'll probably win once I have way more lands <laughs> yeah. than everyone else. So that's one thing that's been really intense at the beginning and like it's can sort of continued through the years cuz mm-hmm. like I've uh I currently have like a Lord Windgrace deck that's also really focused on getting as many land yeah. drops as possible. Also like I think that part of the reason I gravitated towards that was because most of the playgroups I've played in like haven't done anything to punish lands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of uh, a faux pas in a lot of playgroups. Yeah. 
So like it was just a really easy way for me to get value that I knew for a fact that no one was going to disrupt. Yeah. <laughs> and whereas like, you know, committing to artifacts or creatures, like those are going to get wiped by somebody. Yeah. Another thing that I've also been like really interested in over the course of Commander is tokens and mm-hmm. like token production, partially because there are a lot of engines that allow you to convert tokens into cards and so if you have a card that like costs five mana and makes five tokens that could potentially be like five kill spells with attrition or Mm -hmm. 10 cards with skull clamp (laughs) or you know five thought seizes with mind slash of course there's other engines that can make use of tokens like while they're on the battlefield because you've got things like cryptolith right and earthcraft all these ways to just generate more additional value off of these tokens that you can usually get at a really really good rate yeah so that's something that uh i played a lot with when i was first starting out in commander and i'm like have returned to that well a couple times again i think this is an interest of mine that was shaped by the norms of the format Mm -hmm. so it's really frustrating in commander to like play some sort of creature deck and every single creature represents a card out of your hand yeah. <laughs> every every single creature on the battlefield is like a lanoir elves or a fauna shaman or whatever and then the board wipes are so common in commander it's frustrating like i play out all these seven creatures from my hand and then they all get taken out by a wrath of god i hate that <laughs> but if you have like one token producer then it's like i play this one card and get an entire army that can do all these things and if somebody wipes that away, that's a one-for-one trade. I yeah. don't feel that bad about that exchange. Yeah. No, that's something that I feel has kind of shaped me, too, in a lot of the ways I build decks. And I it specifically, like, I'll talk about this. I've decommissioned some decks recently that I tried to make more casual focus. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I did that was to kind of build into that playstyle where, like, hey, you can wrath me and you get four cards. And uh, it turns out, more casual play groups don't play with as many board wipes. Uh-huh. So that style didn't quite work out mm-hmm. like I had hoped. But that's definitely something that's informed a lot of my deck building in the same way. Like, I can't just sit here and, like, play a bunch of 4-4s four and then expect to win. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to have to figure out how to come back when someone rats because they're going to. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to have to figure out how to win when someone kill spells because they're going to. Just, like... That's just the nature of multiplayer, and that was the nature of multiplayer before Commander existed. And, like, how do you win these long games? It's it's fun to, like, look at the constraints of the format, and that, that's, like, I like playing in different formats for that reason, because it gets your brain kind of thinking of, like, well, what's, like, the optimum strategy here? Like, what the puzzle to solve is different each time. And with Commander, there's, like, a lot of different ways to approach that puzzle, mm-hmm. and that's, like, really enticing to me. But do you want to talk about what's going on currently? Like what you're currently sure. So I've got a bunch of decks currently. What I've been doing lately, I'd say over the past year or so, is doing a lot of experimentation. So (laughs) some of these decks I'm going to touch on briefly um, are not actually legal commanders. (laughs) I'll start with the legal ones first. So currently I have a couple decks that I don't really play that much because they're not quite at the right power level for our group so i have a uh, krenko mob boss list Good. that is pretty strong or strong for for our play group like yeah. it's like a little bit above the norm so i don't really break that one out too often that's 
basically what you would expect. It's a lot of goblins and <laughs> ways to pump those goblins, and it's very fast, yeah. aggressive strategy. Yeah, pretty low to the ground. Yeah, uh, I've also got a Lord Windgrace deck, which I might be able to play more often. I was thinking recently about taking out like the three cards that really ranch people the most, which are Wildfire, Devastation, <laughs> and Destructive Force. Because they're they're so so strong in this yeah. deck because like they don't touch your commander and then your commander just gets the lands back that they destroy and of course this deck's actually reliant on a lot of enchantments yeah which none of those cards touch this deck because it runs those cards it can be a little less than popular at the table yeah and, and also like even when it doesn't run into those cards there's an inevitability to the deck that kind of. Uh, annoys people because like most of our playgroups don't run a lot of mass land destruction so if i'm just able to like put all my resources into my lands and nobody's going to touch them and i'm like milling myself like crazy and eventually i'm just going to hit a worm harvest which is also (laughs) really difficult for people to disrupt so i'm gonna briefly touch on some of the, the experimental lists yeah and then i'll pass the baton over to you yeah yeah so one experimental list is actually a custom commander, Ooh. but it is based off of an, an existing commander. So a long time back, I guess 2011, um, I I did try to build a Zedru deck. Yeah. <laughs> and even though at the time I was like still just starting out in the format and hadn't really crystallized the, my understanding of the format, I could tell that like Zedru was just not good. There's not enough booby prizes that will just like completely wreck your opponents when you donate to them. And and even if you manage to draw one of those cards, like say a Pyromancer's Swath or a Statecraft or whatever. Yeah. Or at the time, a uh, Celestial. Oh, yeah. Celestial, Celestial Dawn. Dawn. Yeah. yeah. That one was pretty heinous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but even if you manage to get one of those, like a lot of the time you're playing with fire. And the the cost of I'm casting Zedru for four and then donating for three, like the seven mana investment for an, the initial donation is really high. And yeah. it can also go really badly if your yeah. opponents have spot removal. Yeah. <laughs> like I have Zedru on the field. I've got six mana. I play my Pyromancer's Swath and then Pyromancer's Swath on the stack. Okay, I shoot your commander. Great. I can't have a hand for the rest of the game. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it seemed to me that like, when it worked, it was really fun. It, it is because the tension of playing with these like live explosives <laughs> and then trying to pass them off like hot potato style to your opponents, that's really fun. But there were just so many things about it that didn't work. It's so expensive, so slow. Considering how dangerous it is to be the Zedru player, <laughs> uh, the reward is is not good enough. No. So I uh, designed a custom commander that <laughs> is essentially Zedru, but Grixis colors and a much cheaper cost to donate a card. Uh, and this solves a couple of problems with Zedru. One, with Zedru, there weren't enough booby prizes, so you couldn't like reliably see them. And then a lot of the time you're just giving away like, well, I'll O-ring your thing and then give you the O-ring. And that's not... Yeah really what you wanted to do with the deck yeah it wasn't as fun as like your imagination told you it could be yeah so making it black rather than white gives you access to some really heinous cards (laughs) there are a fair number of black cards that you can donate 
that say you lose the game on them. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Blake's really into that for some reason. Yeah. So uh, Immortal Coil, Nefarious Lich. Mm-hmm. There's there's some good ones. So making it black instead of white uh, gives you access to a lot more fun things. Makes it much more likely that you're able to do the thing that your commander is promising you you'll be able to do. And then also just the cheap donate costs makes it so that you can play around your opponent's removal a little bit better mm-hmm. and you're not quite so slow. This deck in particular is contentious just because I think Zedru is... Zedru is more contentious than people think. And so this deck has sparked a lot of conversation in the play group that we're in when you do play it because like there's this question of like power level and like this, sociability because yeah. it's not like the deck isn't super crazy power i think you've lost most of the games you've i have played with i it. have never won a game with this deck yeah. <laughs> what tends to happen is like i'll give someone something that kills them and because of the way control changing effects work that permanent will return to me and so now i'm holding the bomb yeah. <laughs> and usually there's a way for my opponents to kill me while i'm holding the bomb yeah. <laughs> before i can give it away again yeah i think there's more discussion to be had about it cuz i do like the deck but it's hard to convince someone else to like something <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a life lesson that i've learned <laughs> not even just with commander i used to have a sapling and colfoner deck and that's a black green and it used like world slayer and it was basically just like grindy your commander never dies like what can you do with that so lots of board wipes Mm -hmm. lots of like symmetrical effects that i didn't care about and that was fun and it was fine and just when your commander never dies that's whatever but then jared came out uh golgari lich lord and i was like well you know i've always wanted to kind of build a deck in this style like this is feeds into the style that i like like fill up your graveyard and stuff so i built that deck and it's basically i've had that deck in some form ever since he came out in like the dual decks <laughs> the is it versus golgari dual deck <laughs> which was like a month or two before return of ravnica came out and that has been it just does everything that i want to do it can like handle any permanent type it can get wrath a million times and you don't care uh, Jared never goes back to the command zone unless something heinous happened because it doesn't matter. You just put him in the graveyard and you can get him back. So there's never any commander attacks. And you don't care if you sack your lands because you can get him back. Especially nowadays. like There's so many cards they put into mo- like recent years mm-hmm. that put your lands back into play from the graveyard. A splendid Reclamation. Yeah, and uh, World Shaper, mm-hmm. the, like Merfolk. That's been incredible. Because <laughs> you can sack it immediately to jared and get like 14 <laughs> from your graveyard it's so great but that deck is just really grindy and honestly like i hate the fact like i play this card it's lord of extinction but i kind of hate the fact that that card exists because the most fun part of jared is all the cards where you have to work a little bit harder because mm-hmm. i've won just as many games with like moss bridge troll uh, because Jared's usually a 10-10, mm-hmm. so you can just tap in Moss Bridge Troll, becomes a 25-25. If you have more things, it becomes a 45-45, and you just win on the spot there. But that's, like, more fun than just, like, eight mana I win with yeah. this one guy. And there's also other cards that are, like, as big as Graveyard, or your Graveyard, so you have to work a little harder. There's a lot of interesting stuff, like Keswick Cage Breakers. There's, like, a lot of different ways 
that you can abuse that deck on top of just Jared being huge and killing someone's commander damage. So it's been like a pet of mine for forever. And I recently had to go back and look at it because I realized I put too many cute cards in it. I was like playing it and I was like, this deck doesn't seem to be working. And then I looked and was like, oh, I cut like all these (laughs) cards that made it work. And so I fixed it up and now I think it's like, I haven't been playing it much in our play group because I think it's the same kind of thing. Like it's been like too consistent. Mm -hmm. Like when I played... With our main play group, it's won like the last like four times uh-huh. <laughs> I've played it. And the I think like something I missed when we were talking about this before is I like I usually only keep decks that do something kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Over the years, I've had multiple mono black decks and I've had multiple mono green decks, especially mono green decks. And the only one I've kept, the only one that I actually really like, is Joel Rail Empress of Beasts because it's so weird Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so this is like a three three human spell shaper she's five mana three two green you can pay three discard two cards tap her make all of someone's lands three threes that's it they're just three threes i built the deck a while ago after amonkit came out because there's a bunch of things that mention like tap creatures and stuff like that and i'm like oh she like makes all your creatures tapped because you had to tap all your lands and the deck is just this like really goofy instant and like not planned out to be, but like instant and sorcery based mono green list where you're like running through things. You make all your guys three threes, all your lands three threes. You like pitch mouth to feed, cast feed, like draw eight cards, like cast some spell that untaps all your creatures, like make a bunch more mana and you can kind of like create this machine that ends up winning really <laughs> consistently but it's kind of all or nothing and this is like i've been trying to think of how to do like a budget version of this list so i think i'm on it now so maybe one day i'll talk about it a little bit more but just like the fact that this deck uh runs like lore keeper stone is that the one pay three plus your hand size to draw three cards yeah that's the one it's so good in like green it's <laughs> like this we had a friend with the fraley's commander list that ran that and it was always like super good so like it was really good here too because you're just trying to make as much mana as possible and then cast like mobilize which is like one green untap your creatures (laughs) so plays really interestingly runs like earth surge and sylvan advocate sylvan advocate it runs a bunch of these things that like buff land creatures that are like kind of bad normally i like building into types of cards i think like where you went like oh how does the format work like how do i work around that I went, like, leaned into it. Like, I'll make, like, an artifact deck, and the whole point is that I know I'm going to get red. <laughs> so how do I get them back, or what? how do I use that? Which kind of gets to the next thing I think we wanted to talk about, which is kind of the experiments that we're trying. So I'm not doing... I typically don't build as many, like, custom commanders, just because I don't like dealing with the pre-game politics of, like, convincing someone <laughs> to let you play it. But, I uh, mean, like, have been doing is testing out these planeswalker commanders or planeswalkers as commanders a lot of them from war Mm -hmm. spark in particular because they give you so many like hooks to hang your hats on but just in general so the one that i've really like made and tested so far is angrath captain of chaos Mm. there you go all of his names are like (laughs) mean pirate man (laughs) (laughs) the uncommon one and it looked really underwhelming when we were doing that episode about the planeswalker commanders and then i actually just looked into like the saboteur effects and like the attack trigger effects 
and the deck has been playing really well. <laughs> oh, okay. So there's two. I have two feelings about it. This is definitely a much more casual list because it builds into that play style that we talked about earlier, where a card on the board is typically a card in hand. That's not necessarily true. Like larceny is in the deck because like it gives you a mass token with menace, like a little added value and it like helps your other guys but there's so many guys that do something really heinous and there's so many cards now that make it so that when you hit someone they lose half their life (laughs) there's four different cards that do that on top of just having like phage the untouchable which is just pretty good yeah (laughs) killing someone like i always underestimate phage until i play her again and then go like oh yeah you're dead (laughs) (laughs) wow Turns out uh, hitting for 40 life is uh, pretty good. (laughs) But this deck has been fun. You kind of dogpile on one person pretty hard. So, like, your playgroup has to be okay with that because they can only get Hypnotic Spectered so many times (laughs) before the assault might set in. But a lot of the red-black saboteurs kind of work together. You have, like, Bone Dancer. You have uh, Ink Eyes. You have uh, all these discard effects and all these guys that kill things when you hit them. So you end up with a lot of inadvertent synergy that I did not expect. Like hitting someone with like a headhunter, which is like a 1-1 cleric that just they discard a card. Mm -hmm. Starting on turn two and then eventually Bone Dancer reanimate that thing. That's really good. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really cheap and it can happen really fast. And this just kind of makes me want a cheaper legendary creature that has that goblin wardrobe line of text mm-hmm. but that's okay but yeah that's that's where i'm at now i'm probably going to try and build some more because i have been tooling around with decks but have not played them past like a uh internet goldfish system mm-hmm. but you've made some decks recently yeah and actually most of them i had not had the opportunity to test until last night Ooh. so i can actually give some uh some gameplay Heck information yeah. So the first one I tested last night was Nahiri Storm of Stone. Mm-hmm. And it worked incredibly well in part because <laughs> one of my opponents played a intruder alarm and then didn't do anything with it. So for those of you who haven't listened to the uh, War Planeswalkers as Commanders list, this Nahiri deck is all about finding Skull Clamp and Paradise Mantle. And then once you have Nahiri on the field, reducing the equip cost what you can do is like if you have a bunch of tokens you put paradise mantle on one token tap it move it to the next one so you get mana equal to the number of tokens you have you can then basically sacrifice them to draw two cards and so you're netting cards you're netting mana all you really need to do at that point is hit more token generators and you can kind of keep going through your deck especially if you have a lightning greaves out to give like the new tokens haste and then it's just you're you're casting your entire deck so, but what happened with me is because an opponent had an intruder alarm, I would like have a guy with Paradise Mantle on it and then play like a Conqueror's Pledge or something, get six <laughs> triggers, get all my mana back and more, and then, you know, move that Paradise Mantle onto those tokens, tap them all for mana. It was really crazy snowball. It was, uh, the, so the first time I ever played this deck, I just cast my entire library. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that future showings of this deck are going to be quite as insane. I think it's unlikely anyone's going to play Intruder Alarm yeah. <laughs> now that they see what Nahiri can do. 
but um, that was really crazy, really fun. I don't know who played the intruder alarm by name, but I can guess. Oh, yeah. You're probably right. (laughs) Another commander I tried out last time that also had a quite good showing was Sahili Sublime Artificer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as a blue-red artifact commander, it's actually the option that lets you most do what you're trying to do. Yeah, Obviously works better than Joyra Weatherlight Captain. Uh, (laughs) It works better than Thanos. It's just like faster. It works better than Sahili the Gifted. Yeah. All the cards in this deck are cards you would want to be running in this kind of deck, like Goblin Welder, Master Transmuter, of course, a bunch of Mana Rocks. Yeah. And the she has a lot of synergy with those things, because like a, a problem with like Master Transmuter or Goblin Welder is that they don't have haste. So like waiting around to get to use them is not super... Yeah, super strong. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that like you're going to have a servo on the battlefield and Sahili can just make your servo a copy of your Arkham or your Master Transmuter or your Goblin Welder, all these things with tap effects or your Koldotha Forge Master yeah. uh, makes it so they all essentially have haste, which is kind of what, what they really needed in this deck. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the the one time I have played it so far, I ended up getting a turn three win. <laughs> and, and now I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get my play group to to let me play with it anymore it was just like turn one ancient tomb into signet oh god turn two, tap the ancient tomb and the signet to play sahili and play a land turn three tap the ancient tomb for grim monolith get a servo make my servo a copy of monolith tap them both for paradox engine oh god and then i had the gamble in my hand and you just kept kept it rolling yeah that is so fun. so uh unfortunately don't know if i'm going to be able to get a lot of play out of that deck but it uh it was explosive yeah honestly though i think that a lot of these uncommon planeswalkers the the ones that actually do build into good decks Mm -hmm. i think are more okay and i feel like will be easier to convince people that they're okay because you can't just sit there and like slowly tick them up you made some other ones i'll let you talk about but i i've been trying to think of the rare ones that tick up that and like how to talk about them with mm-hmm. the to get people <laughs> to be okay with them but yeah you, i've seen you play a few more do you want to talk about those guys too sure uh, another one that i got to play for the first time last night was watley and unfortunately yeah. uh watley kind of underperformed oh sad yeah the deck is just a lot of like vanilla creatures with <laughs> absurdly high toughness and that doesn't fare that well against like a lot of board wipes yeah. or like you don't have a way to recoup the cards you're investing into the board yeah unfortunately. Uh, getting 10 from like a great out guardians isn't quite card advantage yeah yeah <laughs> one that i really enjoyed playing a lot was a johnny the great hearted Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm actually really happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for those who aren't familiar with them, it's uh, two green-white for five loyalty planeswalker creatures you control at Vigilance. Plus one, you gain three life. Minus two, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control and a loyalty counter on each other planeswalker you control. So the way I built this was a token deck with a lot of ways to make it so that those tokens can tap for mana. Sim- a little bit similar to, to what Nahiri is doing. Yeah. But just giving your guys vigilance, being able to attack in 
and then second main phase tap them all for your earthcraft to play something else yeah. is is just really strong at being able to have like aggro and a ton of ramp at the same time yeah i'm, I'm still t- tinkering with the list it needs a bit more mana sinks because i was not expecting like the amount of mana i would have access oh, to that's great but it's been pretty good so far I, I think it's a really fair power level but it's been fun and then uh got two more lists i want to touch on really yeah, quickly yeah so one of them i played a couple of weeks ago it's soren vengeful bloodlord yeah <laughs> which is uh two white black for a four loyalty planeswalker uh static ability as long as it's your turn creatures and planeswalkers you can draw have lifelink plus two he'll ping a player planeswalker for one and minus x return target creature card with converted mana cost x from your graveyard to the battlefield that creature is a vampire in addition to its other types so I kind of just saw him as like a value engine, like cheap reanimation. When I built him, I didn't expect that I would be able to get a whole lot of value out of him because when he only has four loyalty, that's you're not going to get that much reanimation. But there are some like really heinous one mana creatures that if you can recur them over and over, you're just set. The one time I played him, I kept getting Martyr of Sands back <laughs> and then my life total was like untouchable. Yeah, but it's like a, a fun weenie reanimation deck better than i was expecting although i again this is a a sample size of one so i'll definitely have more opportunities to learn about him as i play him Mm -hmm. and then finally i've got one deck i've built it i have not played it yet other than gold fishing but it's ugin the ineffable oh okay four loyalty planeswalker ugin for six mana colorless spells you cast cost two less to cast plus one you essentially manifest the top card of your library but if it leaves the battlefield it goes to your hand mm-hmm. and then minus three destroy target permanent this one or more colors so i've built this as sort of like an eggs mm-hmm. list i didn't realize that's kind of what was happening until i started gold fishing with it like what i thought i was doing is i i put in a ton of cheap artifacts that um draw a card like either when they end the battlefield or when you sacrifice them and and the intent there was to try to reduce my effective deck size because if you got a bunch of like alchemist vials and elsewhere flasks, like yeah. all those cards, it's essentially you're playing like a 90 card deck. Because once you have Ugin on the field, you just cycle them for free. But after playing a couple games, what has been happening in my um, gold fishing is somehow I find Scrap Trawler. <laughs> and then it just turns into a chain where it's like, okay, I'm going to sack my Commander Sphere and get back my elsewhere flask. And then I'm going to sack my elsewhere flask and get back my conjurer's bobble and i'm just drawing tons and tons of cards over over time it's been pretty cool it's definitely a combo list it's actually the first colorless deck i've ever i've ever built Mm -hmm. and because of that limitation it feels a lot more fair than what say like sahili is doing yeah that seems fun though like eggs is fun when it isn't oppressive Mm -hmm. like it's an interesting archetype when it's not just like one person twiddling their thumbs for 30 minutes and like making sure no one else can play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's cool. I, I'm glad to hear all that. I, I've been thinking about making a few more because it seems like our playgroup is kind of more okay with these guys because Wizards actually made the card somewhat. I assume they thought a bit about Brawl when yeah. they were designing them. Yeah, yeah. Which Brawl? Uh, oh, man. R.I.P., buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I I hope that they just do this from now on, though. Like, I do actually hope that they print Planeswalkers, even if Brawl isn't a format necessarily in the future, 
with Brawl in mind mm-hmm. and with Commanders that, with Brawl in mind because mm-hmm. it just makes everything better. Yeah, definitely. And and one one thing, I, I may have buried the lead a bit there when I just sort of jumped into talking <laughs> about these experimental Commander decks, mm-hmm. but I, I ought to explain like why I'm doing this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I know that the rules committee has very definitively said that they're not interested in doing Planeswalkers as Commander anytime in the near future, but I wanted to test it, see how it would affect gameplay, and especially see what it was like mixing a planeswalker commander with a normal play group where people are mostly just playing creature commanders yeah obviously there are some that like have balance issues you probably don't want to play them at like a low power play group Mm -hmm. but there is a couple balancing factors one like you just tend to learn which are the threatening ones and which you should probably be like, I don't want to play against that deck right now. Choose something else. Yeah. And that's true with like any new legendary creature oh, yeah. that gets introduced. And also, there is definitely a tension with trying to keep them alive that balances any some of the potential benefits. Mm-hmm. And it helps that a lot of the commanders, at least that I've gravitated towards, tend to be like creature focused and tend to encourage you to like actually proactively do something to move the game forward. Mm-hmm. Like a Johnny is not going to do anything if you don't have like creatures to get take advantage of the plus one plus one counters mm-hmm. or other planeswalkers to take advantage of the loyalty. Yeah. Like it's it's forcing you to to move the game forward. Same with like Watley. Watley's not going to do anything if you don't have a bunch of high toughness creatures to yeah. beat in with. So the fact that they centered them around creatures, I think, was a really smart yeah. decision. Especially like the black commanders. If they were just like sort of generic mono black control, then it'd be so much more tempting to run like Spreading Plague or the Abyss or Deathmatch. Yeah, just, just make it terrible. Yeah, nightmare for anyone trying to run creatures, but. The fact that Soren, like, it's not really a good idea to run those because I'm incentivized to focus on creatures, and, or like Vraska. Uh, you need to have your Death Touch creatures on the board attacking, and you can't just blow up your own guys. Yeah, so, no, I, I agree. I think that they built them in a very smart way that doesn't incentivize those really gross playstyles. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think the biggest problem with Planeswalkers as commanders, and past Planeswalkers as commanders, is not even just how they play that slows down the game like okay well now i have to get through like seven loyalty before it's set or something like that like you gain seven life like i don't actually care about that at all Mm -hmm. it's just the a lot of old planeswalkers do incentivize like yeah i should probably play deathmatch Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh it turns out if i devastation i can win because i have this red x planeswalker here like Mm -hmm. stuff like that and that i think is the bigger barrier to them being welcomed yeah the format so these new ones are just like chef's kiss like (laughs) wonderful and i'm gonna make a few more i think both me and nick were thinking about the kiora i was thinking about tamio the new tamio green blue one i was probably gonna make the nissa there's a few that like seem interesting and like have cool lines of play that are more than i thought originally (laughs) yeah and and also another thing that is different about these planeswalkers compared to past one that that makes these war of the spark planeswalkers more suited to playing as your commander is so few of them have ultimates Mm -hmm. and that actually makes it a lot lot more fun because now you don't have to worry about like if you're sitting across the table from a planeswalker that can ultimate it's like if i don't do something about that duretti right now he's gonna get that emblem and then it's over 
There's nothing mm. I can do. But with most of these, like your opponents can kind of just just not worry about them. Yeah. If there's a Whatley on the field, like they don't have to kill it. Like they can if they want to like shut down your offense, and that's just part of the gameplay. But if there's not a feeling of dread when you see yeah. these planeswalkers. Yeah, I, I have a Liliana heretical healer deck, like mm-hmm. the one of the flip walkers, and that if you do not attack Liliana the game's not going to go well <laughs> for you. <laughs> and that's really true of a lot of Planeswalkers, like you said. Mm-hmm. Just like the amount of times you look over and you're like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. No one attacked that plane. Oh, no. And you just like kind of know that like the whole game is now focused on that task. Like, yeah. we got to take care of this permanent right now. <laughs> like, I've played a fair number of games with uh, Nissa Vital Force. And that's just like not fun for anyone because no. it's like I, I just have to get it to survive one turn cycle, and then I have an emblem that's a really powerful emblem in my land deck for the rest of the game. <laughs> Landfall, draw a card, but you don't have to worry about it with these guys. Like Nahiri is basically an enchantment. Like her only mm-hmm. minus ability is just controlling the board really weakly. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of them are too. Like at the Engrath deck, like you will amass sometimes to like protect him. Or if you have, like, one of those equipment, you have, like, a Quieta Spike or something like Mm -hmm. that. But really, like, I don't activate him that often because it's better for him to be sitting there at five loyalty Mm -hmm. because... He's easier to protect. He's easier to protect. And then also, like, you just want him to be there to Goblin War Drums as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And so that really, a lot of these guys, it really play that up, like... They're not big threats on their own, and you kind of just want them to chill. You just kind of want them to like sit there and statically affect what's going on. So that, yeah, I agree with you. It's yeah, cool. I hope that Wizard sort of takes that lesson. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, what are some decommissioned decks that you either think back like fondly or think back and like laugh about that you've made in the past. Uh, so I've made a lot of combo decks that I've played <laughs> just a couple times and was like, Oh, nobody's ever going to let me play this. And it's not like playing this against people is not actually that much more fun than goldfishing. And if I just goldfish, then no one else has a bad time. <laughs> uh, so that was the case with Duretti, yeah. Teshar, with Teferi, Temporal Archmage. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I have a similar vein where, like, I have commanders I've built that, like, just the commander was too good. Mm-hmm. So I had, like, a King Makar, and it was like, ha, oh, isn't it fun that no one has, like, creatures and I have so much gold? Ha, ha, ha. And that was just, like, that's not <laughs> <laughs> super fun. Or, like, the commander was just way too strong. So, like, Olivia Voldarin, I've tried to make, like, multiple times. And even when... I made it probably, like, the weakest possible. I, like, told a friend, like, oh, I'll just only use commons. It was kind of like a joke list, and I still... Because it doesn't matter. Like, she's like that. And I made as a comma list that was the same. Mm -hmm. It was, like, this commander is so strong, like, when it's working. Especially, like... It doesn't matter. (laughs) Well, especially with, like, activated ability commanders. is like, it kind of doesn't matter what the rest of your cards in your deck do. Like, with a geth list, like, your your deck is still doing something and still doing powerful things, even if your deck is 99 swamps, just because, like, so much of the power is concentrated in your commander. And that's, like, the best thing you could be doing most turns. Yeah, and, yeah. And so I've kind of strayed away from those. I've had, like, a lot of combo lists. I had, like, Sidri, Galvanic Genius in the same vein that was, like, well, why am I 
it's more fun to just try this out for <laughs> <laughs> my house. Um, and I have some lists that like are in like the stasis, like cryogenic chamber in my closet. Mm-hmm. So like I had a Zerlin of the Claw deck. It's like mono red dragon tribal basically, but like really messed up dragon. Tri- like I activate Zerlin, you're dead. <laughs> um, and that was fun, but for a really long time, I played a lot of commanders like that. Rectos, uh, Lord of Riots is the same kind of way where like it either is everything or it's nothing. And I'm trying to stay away from that. Yeah. I don't, it's, it's not fun when it's like, ah, oh, wasn't that a great game? And like no one did anything but you and you have like seven Eldrazi in play mm-hmm. and like, like a Nullstone Gargoyle. Yeah. And no, it's that, like, oh, okay. That definitely seems really common for Rakdos 2.0 lists. Yeah. Like, Either, like, man, I just can't get any way to, like, deal damage to someone and get my commander and, like, start the snowball rolling. This is super frustrating. Or anyone got an answer to Blightsteel? No? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's, yeah. So there's a lot of decks that I made that were kind of in that vein. I had a a Derevi Tokens list that was super fun and really strong. Turns out Derevi's a good commander. Mm -hmm. Who would have thought? And uh, I, on purpose, did not stacks i just made it like tokens tap effects all that kind of stuff i built that deck too once yeah yeah Yeah. and it just like was the same thing it was like either you were getting hated out and people were blowing up your stuff and you couldn't do anything because Mm -hmm. like everyone is afraid of you or here's like a hundred tokens over two turns Mm -hmm. and i'm winning or i want so that was the same kind of thing yeah just not quite in a good spot earlier you mentioned that like over the course of your commander experience you've tried to like do weird things the only decks that have really survived are like the the weird ones yeah yeah or, the, or like that really uh extends the lifespan of a deck yeah <laughs> and i just want to connect that to something we talk about all the time here on commander theory which is like the number of distinct viable archetypes in commander is one of the most important metrics for determining the health of the format mm-hmm. because we have both been playing for what a decade close to it mm-hmm and the ability to find new commanders and new archetypes is what keeps us coming back to this game for so long and this format for so long. And I think that that's really what's going to help the health of the format long term is if new players can be introduced to the format and learn there are hundreds <laughs> of viable archetypes that you can play. It's going to take you many, many, many years just to experience all of yeah. them. That's a huge draw. And like, there's so much exploration mm-hmm. involved in playing Commander, and and that's really something that Wizards should ideally be designing to, is like finding unexplored archetypes. Here's a distinct set of cards that currently don't have a Commander to support them. What can we make that will make this pile of cards viable? Yeah. So I'm really hoping that Wizards adopts that philosophy if they haven't already. And part of the reason why I have been vocal about supporting Planeswalkers as commanders and like why I was so disappointed that the Rules Committee ultimately decided not to allow that, even for a short period of time, is that injecting all these Planeswalkers into commander would open up a lot of archetypes that didn't exist before. Yes. Like I built six commander decks that are way different from anything else. Nahiri is token equipment combo, <laughs> yeah. which is not something you could do in red white before. Yeah. Sorin is white black CMC based reanimation, did not exist before. 
Sahili is like probably the most fun red blue artifact commander we've gotten to date. Watley is a toughness based commander that avoids the problem that Doran have had in the past. Ajani is a distinct type of token and plus one plus one counter deck mm-hmm. that hasn't existed before. Yeah, it's a it's a interesting like synergy deck where you like make guys to make mana to make guys to make mana and you just keep like snowballing yeah Yeah, and and the whole time they're growing bigger yeah (laughs) and then ugin provides this opportunity for an eggs based deck but there's so many opportunities for exploration you can listen to the war planeswalkers as commander episode because this is only a fraction of them these are just the ones i felt like building there's a few i think we we decided like 25 of the 37 (laughs) planeswalkers in war of the spark could make viable decks yeah and looking over them again like there's a ton that like i actually do want to make at some point in time and uh playing with them not even just in commander or as commanders too like a lot of them are more fun than i kind of gave them credit for Mm -hmm. at first i think if they keep making planeswalkers like this the argument that have been presented by the rules committee so far is going to get weaker and weaker and I've read a lot of articles lately about like how they want to structure their ban list and how they want the format to play from both people in the rules committee or people who maybe they weren't in the CAG at the time that they are now mm-hmm. or other people with digital publications and stuff like that. And a big part of it is that they don't want to ban super powerful things in like a competitive meta because they don't want the format to be competitive mm-hmm. and they want the format to be very self-policing. I think if you let Planeswalkers be commanders, people would be self-policing. Like we've seen in our EDH Rec Deep Dive episodes, that people don't build combo decks even when that is probably the optimum way. They'll build tribal, force Mm -hmm. a tribe, even if that's not optimal. And they don't play certain cards, even though they're very powerful, because there's kind of this social contract of the format. Mm -hmm. And that's ingrained into people who play the format. So I think that if they keep making planeswalkers at this caliber fun interesting like open up various archetypes it's gonna get harder and harder to justify not letting people play with them and that's my thesis (laughs) one thing i want to add onto that so this is something i never ever talk about on the show because it's it's not something i personally care about yeah but i recognize that other people care about it a lot Mm -hmm. and the commander rules committee and the cag should also be thinking about this yeah if you look at EDH Rec, there are some commanders on there that have a popularity that is very disproportionate to their power level. Yes. And I'm just going to throw a couple out there. Yahini, Gonti, and Alesha. All of these three commanders are popular. Like, Gonti is not actually that strong. Yeah. It's kind of bog standard mono mm-hmm. black control. Yahini, not actually that strong. There's better sack outlet commanders out there. But they're all very popular, all three of those. And a big part of it is because people identify with characters. Mm-hmm. They see that Yahini and Gonti, these are non-binary characters. I'm non-binary. That's something that resonates with me that I can see myself in the game. And that's why I want to build around this this character. Or Alesha, like it's a cool deck. Like I have built several iterations of Alesha. Yeah. I, I really think she's a great commander. But also, I know a lot of trans people who are really excited by Alesha, who have built Alesha decks, who like the opportunity to see themselves in the game and build around that in this format that they love so much. Yeah. And 
the rules committee and the CAG have talked about like commander is all about legendary creatures, but really commander is about characters. Mm -hmm. Commander is about, I like Nicol Bolas is so, so cool. I want to build around him. Yeah. And, And that's what draws a lot of the people who are like maybe less spiky, more casual is that's what they're connecting to. They're they're not really thinking about like the mechanics of the card and equations appearing in front of them, <laughs> like how they would optimize it or whatever. It's the character they're connecting to. And like in some cases, there are planeswalker who represent something to people that is nowhere else on any other legendary creature. Yeah. Like for example, Narset is the only character we know of that's not neurotypical, mm. and we've seen that in her point of view story. Yeah, and so there are some people who out there who are like, "This is exactly how I think. I really want to play with this character." But most of her iterations are planeswalkers. Or really, I think that we should be opening up not only opportunities for people to build new types of decks, but also to connect with the things that yeah. resonate with them. Yeah. I think that that's really reasonable, and I think that's one of the things that Magic has done a lot better than other IPs over the year, but Magic also has to work on, too. And they've talked about Planeswalkers as their, like, superheroes. The Gatewatcher was more or less their their Justice League, their Avengers. Mm -hmm. It's, like, these characters that use magic instead of, like, superpowers to do these epic storylines and stuff like that. And people connect to them. People like them. Like, we just had this big voting thing for, like, who is the War of the Spark Planeswalker. And people spent that week voting and arguing and talking and, like, being very passionate about these characters. And I totally agree with you. I think that it just lets people play with the characters that they connect to more in a way that's, I think, healthy for the game in general. And, like, connect to the game on a level that other games don't let people connect to Mm -hmm. like that's one of the reasons magic is as popular as it is is like it's somehow much more than a hobby for most people like it is a hobby but there's so much in magic that people have like gravitated towards and it's this huge subculture now so that's our coverage of our decks we're probably gonna inject a little bit more of this casually into more episodes like maybe give you updates on things We didn't touch on all of our decks and all that kind of stuff. So just kind of over time, we're hoping to get through stuff because the inevitable preview March treks on ever onward. And there will be a lot of episodes about that just this year and every year. So we're trying to think of ways to like sneak some content in there. I mean, we all get excited about spoilers as much as if we do like spoilers, like that's not the reason that we like doing the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's not the, the sole yeah, focus exactly. of the show. So we will do more spoiler episodes, obviously, because um, they're fun. It's nice to talk about cards and like you all want to hear about them. That seems to be the mm-hmm. case, at least. But we're going to keep on talking about stuff. If you want to hear about any of this, like we'll probably do deck techs eventually on some of these decks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I want to do budget versions of some of my decks. Just let us know which of these decks sounded interesting that you'd like us to expand on some more. Before we sign off, I just want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Amund, Addison, Arthur, Mason, Will, Elvis, Rick, Laser, Raphael, and Kyle. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you are not currently a patron but would like to become a patron, you can check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thank you all for listening. 
Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time.